1: Are you a forgiving person? Would you consider yourself one who forgives? It should be a part of your life if you're a Christian, as we'll find out next here on Truth For Today. Join us. Now, we asked that question a moment ago. Are you forgiving? Most would say yes, but then if I were to remind you of the times that you've said, I don't get mad, I get even, starts to bring to light the truth of the matter, doesn't it? You know, it is easy to walk away from forgiveness. It's much easier to find revenge and take care of things on our own and never forgive. You see, as a Christian, we've been given a higher calling. We're in Second Corinthians today, chapter 2, verses 5 through 12, the place of forgiveness in God's church. With today's edition of Truth For
2: Today from
1: Valley Bible Church in Hercules, here's Pastor Phil Howard.
2: I want to talk about, uh, from the passage, we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. Let me read that to you, and then let us talk about forgiveness and God's church. Let me begin. If anyone has caused grief... He has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you. To some extent, not to put it too severely, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him, Another reason I wrote was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes, is there any sin you can commit that God will not forgive? Before you jump to that, I read an article that uh, Philip Pianci wrote. He said he was in a lively Bible study after Jeffrey Dahmer was beat to death by a broomstick in the prison. He was serving Jeffrey Dahmer around the Minnesota, uh, Milwaukee area. He uh, had killed 17 young men. He cannibalized many of them. When they finally went to his apartment, he had decapitated or cut up the parts of 11 young men and was keeping them in refrigeration. Uh, It was one of the most dastardly outrageous kinds of crime and activity that could ever go on. Yancey found himself in a Bible study, and the question came up all over the country, and it came up in their Bible study, uh, could God forgive such a man? Because what was interesting is two weeks before he was beat to death, he had professed faith, a Church of Christ, chaplain, uh, had led him to Christ. He had been baptized while in prison. Uh, it might have been even more than a few weeks. Was attending all the chapels, was studying the Bible, was making all these uh, radical changes in his life. And the question came up in the Bible study. They asked Muslims, Jews, they asked Christians, and it came up in the Bible study Philip was in. Could God possibly forgive a man of 17 horrendous crimes? Would that really be possible? And then I think the question may be, let's do this. Is there any sins God would forgive that you wouldn't forgive? There's 11 things about forgiveness. I'll just cite them that are wonderful. You see, I I read in this article about uh, a couple that got into a fight. The book was called Love in the Time of Cholera. And uh, this man told his wife, it's your job to keep soap on hand. The disease is going everywhere. He comes up. They get in an argument that the soap wasn't there. He told her, I've gone a week without soap. She said, no, I've put it there They defended it, so let me, so I don't make up anything. So the man said, I've been going without this for all this time. So for seven months, uh, they slept in separate rooms and ate in silence. Even when they were old and placid, writes Marquez, they were careful about bringing it up because it would always break out into an argument. The book The Knot of Vipers by Francis Marriott tells of a story of an old man who spent the last decades of his marriage sleeping down the hall from his wife. The rift opened 30 years before whether the husband had shown enough concern for a daughter when she was sick. The wife said you didn't, so they didn't talk to each other for 30 years. In her memoir of a truly dysfunctional family, The Liars Club, that's the book, by Mary Carr, tells of a Texas couple that uh, must have been a depressant couple because he uh, got angry at her that she's spending too much money on sugar. So they got in a battle, and they remained married, but did not speak to each other for 40 years. Uh, one day, hear this. This is Philip Yancey. One day he took out a lumber saw and saw their house exactly in how. He nailed up planks to cover the raw sides and moved one of the halves behind some scruffy pine trees on, on the same acre of ground. There the two husband and wife lived out the rest of their days in separate half houses. Not out houses, half houses. <laughs> Families are torn apart because they won't forgive. Marriages are winding up in divorce courts because they won't forgive. Churches are splitting because people won't forgive. You have to ask yourself this question is this a safe church to fail? If a girl came in here and said, I've got pregnant and I'm not married, would this be a safe place? Now, we've got two great problems in our culture. One, tolerance. Nothing's wrong. If I want to do it, honey, it's none of your business. So we got that attitude in the culture, for sure. It's none of your business. Just keep the money coming, parents. But it's none of your business what I do. And then on the other hand, uh, you've got people that are so harsh, you don't know if you would ever be forgiven of anything. Because they keep accurate records on every infraction. And it says in 1 Corinthians, love keeps no ledger of wrong suffered. And they're always up to date. You did this last year. You did this last week. They, you know it, it will never be over. It will never be over. Well, There's 11 things about forgiveness, and I'm just citing these, and then I'm going to give you the three things I like to emphasize from the passage. Uh, It is always God like to forgive, God is painted as a forgiving God over and over. How else could He have a relationship with sinners like us? He's a forgiving God. Two, God told us not to murder in the sixth commandment, and Jesus upped it in the Sermon on the Mount by saying, murder now equals hate. Whoever you hate, I'm giving you credit for murder. So to obey me, you can't hate. Sin against people is a sin against God. When you mistreat people, you're mistreating God. You remember when David confesses sin of sleeping with Bathsheba. Now, he didn't just sleep with a woman. He killed her husband. He stole her, and he hid it for a year. And finally, when he came clean, he said, before you and you only did I do this sin. Well, it's not only, God, you sinned. You're saying right now, only you saw it. But Uriah's dead, and you killed him, David. Uriah is lost his wife. Bathsheba lost the baby. I'm telling you, you may say it's just against God, but you never sin alone. And there's an old saying that used to say, sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will make you pay more than you want to pay. When you want to sin, it, 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 it's like breaching the dam. The water's out, and you can't pick all the consequences. You can pick your sin, but you can't govern all the consequences. Well, uh, the forgiven, which is us, must forgive. Uh, We've been forgiven much. Jesus gave the parable of a man forgiven a debt of 10,000 talents. A talent, one talent of metal was worth 20 years of wages. So take 20 times 10,000. Get 200,000. It would take 200,000 years of working off this debt before you could pay me. Impossible. There is no end to forgiveness. Peter said, if I forgive a guy seven times in a day, I've paid my dues. Jesus said, just multiply it by 70, 490 times a day. Start there, Peter. He said, I need more faith. Jesus said, no, you don't need more faith. You need to just obey. Quit making the limits that you say you'll forgive. If God did that, he wouldn't save us. Refusal to forgive forfeits fellowship with God. You can't hate your brother and have fellowship with God, right? Failing to uh, forgive leads to divine discipline. God would discipline you with an unforgiving spirit. I think uh, failing to forgive cuts you off from worship. He said in Matthew 5, if you go to worship, and there you've got odd against your brother, forgive being in the song service, forget about being in during the sermon, go to your brother, be reconciled first, then you come back to worship. And God wants your worship. But he said, I won't accept it until you make the effort to be reconciled. That's the priority God's put on it. Um, and let's go to the text. Let me give you the context of what's going on here. Paul has made a painful visit to this church. He says this in chapter 2 and verse 1. he uh, He'd had a, a, a man that rose up in the church, and it sounds as though he publicly uh, castigated Paul, rejected his apostolic authority, made a scene. And the whole church heard this outrage and just running Paul down, all like that, and, uh, and it killed Paul. It hurt him. It crushed him. It made him feel terrible. Paul makes a painful visit from Ephesus, goes across the sea to Corinth, not recorded in uh, the book of Acts. Luke doesn't record it, but he says, I made a painful visit to you. He wrote a painful letter. And at first, when this guy did this, the church was silent. They did nothing. They just let him run down Paul. And it's not the incestuous brother of chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. That was one case. This is a different case. And so he said, they outraged me. And they just rose up. And I think the first thing we ought to consider is the pain that sin causes. That here, the whole church is put into pain into sorrow uh, over the sinning of his brother, castigating Paul, no telling what he called him. May have said, you're not a true apostle. We don't know exactly what he did, but there's this outrageous behavior that crushed Paul that the church at first was silent, and they were doing nothing about it. And then Paul says, I just want you to know, this guy has caused the whole church pain." There are things that happen in churches that you may not have done that causes pain in that church. Corporate pain. And I think a lot of people don't want to be identified with it. I remember Warren Wiersbe said one time, one of these TV preachers had fallen into moral behavior, wrong problems, and all like that. And everybody of the different stripes of the Christian community began to point the finger, and he did this, and he did that, and pointed out all the faults. And Warren Wiersbe made this comment: "It did not happen to him; it happened to us. You can't sin alone." We were pointing the finger. That preacher shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have done that. He said, we're still in the body of Christ together when a brother or sister misbehaves. We bear it. It's like being in the same family and a member of your family does some outrageous act. Guess what? You're still a Howard. You're still whatever you are. You don't undo being a part of that family just because you don't approve of the behavior in the family. And so here Paul is saying, hey, this guy put us all into pain. I've been painting. The church has been painting. The severe letter has arrived to you guys, and I've cleaned house. I, I spoke up to the majority. Where were you? Why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you call this guy to task? Why, why didn't you do anything? Pain. And I just want to say to you, just don't be alive if you don't want relational pain. You're going to have it if you have children, if you have marriage, if you work on a job. If you ever have human contact, eventually you're going to have a rub. And if you don't have that, just look in the mirror and you'll get to stay, get where you can't stand that. We are the problem. We carry the problem. We carry all kinds of hang-ups about people and, oh, we know what everybody ought to do. And, oh man, we're experts at judging. But he said, this guy's caused severe pain to me and to you. And then he goes on. He says, but he's got to pay for it. There's a penalty for this kind of behavior. And obviously, the church stood up finally, and they opposed this guy and and withstood him. And look what he says in verse 5 or verse 6. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. And then they, they, they finally rallied. They did something. Uh, We don't know what they did. They may have disciplined him out of the church. They may have had a, a, a corporate meeting and says, you're wrong about Paul. You shouldn't have talked that. Whatever the nature of it was, he finally, enough penalty, enough discipline had been meted out that Paul was saying, stop. That's enough. That's enough. I think of uh, what we go through in raising children. I think more liars are produced every day by people having children. If you do that, I'll spank you. They did it. What did you do? Well, I, I loved him. Said, "Mommy loves you." You just lied. You just lied. D- don't touch. Don't touch. They touch. They're crying. What do you do? Do you bandage them or spank them? Well, first of all, it would be nice if you bandage them. That would be nice. What do you do? How much do you tolerate? When do you inflict any pain? See, the Bible's got a bad name about talking about the rod. You know, that seems you're barbaric. Do you mean you would spank a child? Well, I'll ask you this. Would God? I can't hear you out there yes. Would God. Is it loving? Is it abuse? No, God doesn't abuse. Do you spank children because you're mad? Has never said the reason. You want to say, after I've used my mouth to instruct you, I want to bring just enough pain, not abuse, to... Ingrain this lesson that you don't touch something that dad or mom says don't touch because I'm trying to preserve you from pain. I'm trying to save you pain, so I want to inflict enough pain, and I'm not going to inflict it on your ears. Man, that hurt. Uh, Hit you on the head, call you stupid, dummy, none of that. God has graciously built your anatomy for a spanking. You might beat some of it off. Your bottom was made to take the pain without shaming and without injury. And uh, that's why you want them potty trained is so they can feel it. See, because sinners, that we all were born with a bent to do our own way, pain is a great teacher. It's the hardest teacher, but it's a great one. And he said he, he said in Proverbs, the fool doesn't learn from pain. He gets worse and worse. You can't beat folly out of a fool. He insists on being a fool. And he said he becomes the grief to his mother and his father. A non-teachable child that not non-correctable is headed for penitentiary. It's a danger to society. And so he's saying, you guys have inflicted enough pain. It's sufficient. The majority finally stepped up and dealt with it. And so he's commending them. And then he said, this is what he tells them. And he's been offended the most. It was personal. And he's telling the church, please forgive. I'm in this with you. This is what we ought to do. Once you've disciplined him, once he's repented, once he wants to come back, listen to the kind, kind uh, heart of the pastor of Paul. He said, hey, the punishment's sufficient. Now you ought to what? Forgive. Wow. Beautiful. Forgive him. He's repented. But he hadn't said this until he repented. Comfort him. Come alongside of him and say, you're going to make it. We're going to lift you up. And then, why do you do this? You don't want him to be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow, the shame, and maybe the embarrassment. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote was to see if you would stand the test of obedience in everything. I was, I was writing you. Will you do what I tell you? Will you carry out my. I said forgive. I said reaffirm. It's quite interesting. I've seen it in the church. What's easy to do with the uh, the sinning brother. The forgiven one. Whoever it is. Is you can keep them on probation from now on. Uh, you know you hear this comment. I'll never trust you again. I'll never. You hear that. That's like a a virtuous statement. You know what? Maybe you don't have a forgiving heart. Because there's all kinds of lines. Well, if I forgive them, they'll be bold enough to do it again. If I forgive them, they won't think I'm taking their sin serious. If I forgive them, they're going to just use me. If i got all these excuses, why not to do it? Let's use that on God and you. Have you ever done the same sin two days in a row? The same sin. Yesterday, Lord, I said, I'm sorry and ask you for forgiveness. Okay, just never do it again. Have you ever heard him say that? Now, he did tell some guys, go and sin no more. Okay. Break with it. So, the next day, you do it. God said, no, if I forgive you, you'll just do it again. You don't take my forgiveness for real. No, I'm not going to forgive you. Well, why do we do this with people? Why is all your forgiveness always so conditional? Conditional. Conditional. And yet I come to God, I forgive you for Christ's sake. Because the final thing, I make three Ps out of this. The pain caused by sin. The penalty do it. And then the payment for it. Why is God free to forgive me? Because he skirts over it. He's a... uh, a dishonest parent. He doesn't carry through. No, the cross. The cross set Christ free to forgive you.
1: And this is Truth for Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules.